We have this conversation all the time, but now Trevor Sikama gets to have this conversation with us. How does Anthony Richardson translate to the NFL? We're going to talk about it. Is he an NFL QB? We'll see on Locked On Gators. You are Locked On Gators, your daily podcast on the Florida Gators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Joining me now for Locked On Gators is Trevor Sikema, and you can find him on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey, even though he lives very much not in Tampa Bay Trey in Tampa oh, Bay right now. Don't remind uh, me. Don't remind me of that. Come on. Don't remind me of that. No longer in Tampa Bay, but we're going to talk Florida Gators here, and we have to start off, of course, with Anthony Richardson. We'll talk about the Gators as a whole, but I would like you to answer this question because, you know, you, you've been doing this a bit longer than me. You cover the NFL more. How does Anthony Richardson look as far as NFL quarterbacks go? Because I am so tired of even considering, will he go to the draft or will he not? Yeah. Um, at this point in time, he, he should not. And, and I, I think that we got carried away. Like I feel like we do every year. I've been covering the draft for a really long time and I love the NFL draft. I love the conversations about the draft. I'm one of those people that if you want to talk about the draft in the summertime, like two months after the last draft just happened, I'm down to talk about that. It's always fun. It's always fun to talk about the best guys in college football, how they could project as pros, all that kinds of stuff. So I'm never going to sit here and say that we shouldn't ever talk draft early, but (laughs) I will say that as the draft has grown in popularity, and as the demand for those early mock drafts and those early conversations have become more prevalent, you get a lot of what we had this summer, which was Anthony Richardson, who had started like what three games before this season um, as a top 15 overall pick for some people. And it's just like, okay, now we're going too far. Like the projection, the whole, the whole industry is about project projection. That's what the NFL draft is all about. But Richardson had had truly barely done anything as a starter, almost next to nothing, right? So yeah, you can look at all the turmoil that Florida was going through with Dan Mullen last year. And so even when he was able to play a decent amount, it's not like it was able to really a stable environment for him. And so we had not even seen anything of Anthony Richardson going into this year. And people were already projecting him to be a first round pick. Why? Physical ability, right? Everybody knows that who's listening to this podcast. What Anthony Richardson can do, not just with his legs, which people love to talk about all the time, but also that rocket cannon of an arm that he has. Just the kind of physical specimen that he is just does not come around at the quarterback's position very often. But he is still so raw for playing that position at a high level. In the SEC and in college football, let alone the NFL. So... I just think we really got carried away at the beginning of things when people projected him to be a a first round pick before the season even started. Uh, you know, they get the big win against Utah. He has a couple of flash plays that were incredible. Those unique plays that you feel like only Anthony Richardson can do. Then people are like, "Oh, you know, could he go in the top five? And now I think we're getting back down to earth a little bit, where it's like, okay, you gotta let this kid learn. Like you gotta let him fail and learn and see what happens after that and the adjustments that he'll make and how he improves, how he gets better, all that. You weren't gonna find it out in the early parts of the season. It's something that's probably gonna take two years to figure out. So 
Look, if he ends up getting a first-round grade from the NFL Draft Advisory Board simply off potential, it's hard to say no to that. But I would love for Richardson to stay another year. I don't think he should be going pro after this year. And I think if you go into next year's season with him as a starter, then you can really start to talk about him achieving his potential and not just being a total project when he gets to the NFL. Yeah, uh, I'm, I've openly said that I'm a bit torn on Anthony Richardson because after last season, everybody was like, oh, Emory Jones is gone, Anthony Richardson time, he's going to be amazing, Heisman candidate, mm-hmm. first-round pick, all this stuff. And I'd get flamed because I was saying Anthony Richardson, as physically gifted as he is, he's one of the most physically gifted human beings on the planet. I will say that incessantly. People mm-hmm. his size don't move the way he does. And if they do, they can't throw the ball the way he does. Right. But he's just so wildly inconsistent. I mean, in 2021, it was, uh, I, I think, just the, the Georgia start and then a bunch of rotations and, and coming in second half LSU and coming back. But you can't deny he's shown the flashes. Mm-hmm. And I, I th- know that we can say it, it's strictly potential, but you have to think there's an NFL team out there somewhere that is watching Anthony Richardson play as inconsistent as he is, but seeing and kind of just watching him and saying the bills did it with Josh Allen, the right. Chiefs did it with Patrick Mahomes in different ways, obviously, but yeah. we can take this incredibly raw quarterback and help him become great. Right. And, uh, no, that's the argument. Like that's where that's if, if, if Anthony Richardson's going to go to the NFL draft, it's because he heard probably on more than one occasion that teams believe that he can be that next Josh Allen of a player. I will say this. Anthony Richardson's accuracy numbers are not great this year. And if you go back to Josh Allen's at Wyoming, Josh Allen's weren't great either, but Josh Allen's accuracies were different. Allen was still a much better passer than Richardson is right now. Richardson, it feels like doesn't even have the form, right? It really, you watch some of these passes and it's not just the accuracy. Like it's the ball placement. That's such an issue for him. You you get these easy routes out to the flat or these quick slants or things where he's supposed to lead his wide receiver with a little more touch and the ball's behind him or it's not in the right place, or they've got to reach up high to go catch it or reach down low. Like it's just not there for him. And I don't know if they're totally changing his throwing motion or trying to clean that up because that's typically a side effect of when you really start to mess with the guy's mechanics. Well, then the exact ball placement sometimes can be an issue because they're working through that. They're getting that muscle memory down. And it just doesn't seem like Richardson has that. Even the passes that he completes, if they are not timing routes that he has practiced over and over and over and over again with some of these receivers, then the ball's often not going where it's supposed to be. And he makes sometimes those easy throws look difficult because he can't put the ball exactly where it needs to, to lead the receiver for yards after the catch or to put it in a window where the defensive back can't get it to where the wide receiver is. And so uh, I think ball placement is the biggest issue for him. And a lot of people are going to compare him to Josh Allen when he was coming out of Wyoming. Cause I think even their accuracy stats are very, fam- very similar right now. But I would argue that Josh was further along as a passer than Anthony Richardson was right now. We're in like baby steps phases of AR being somebody who can be a good quarterback at the NFL level. I, I just, the, the 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 Allen comparisons are going to be there. I just I don't think it's the same argument. I don't. I think that AR is further behind than where Josh Allen was, and that's again why I think he should come back for another year. He's young. He's got plenty of time to do it. 
th- this Florida Gators team, I think is going to be better next year as well. So I think he should come back. And certainly at this point, I would absolutely tell him that he's got to come back for another season, but who knows? The NFL loves to bet on guys. I just, I wouldn't want him to go to the NFL draft and then slip past the first round of what his potential would be. Cause I know that that could potentially be something that's in the cards for him in the future. If he gives it the right amount of time. Yeah. And I mean, we saw the potential guy this year slip with Malik Willis was the one that before the draft, everybody was mm-hmm. like, Oh, like his ceiling is insane, but he is so raw. Right. We saw him slip a bit. And I do know that Anthony Richardson works with, I believe it's Denny Thompson as a quarterback coach in the off season, who even in the Utah game, I was like, his motion looks a bit weird. Like, like it's different from what we've seen from him. Um, but I asked you just one more question about Anthony Richardson. Mm-hmm. And then we'll move on to the Gators as a unit. Uh, what is it like being like being coworkers with someone who Anthony Richardson uses as bulletin board material with, uh, I think it was Anthony Trish, but oh, was it trash? <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, trash. Uh, it's funny. You know, trash, trash does so much work covering college football and he is our lead college football guy at PFF. And he tries to know as much as he possibly can on every single team. And the dude works his ass off. But every now and then, you know, he's going to make a take. And I'll say this, Tresh Tresh never makes a take that is unfounded. Like, he will make sure that he is watching the film. He is going over the stats. He will watch these guys. uh, And then he'll make his take on them. And it's, you know, people do like to point to PFF as a, yes. as a, a bulletin board kind of place for players to get motivation. But Hey, look, if, uh, if what Tresh said makes the quarterback of my alma mater play better and play more focused and the Gators are better for it, then uh, I'll send Tresh a nice Christmas present for it. So I'll just say that. Yeah, And here's, I mean, PFF is the nice bulletin board place probably because social media presence is so big, but also mm-hmm. when you look at the season since, that I, I think I was when I sent you the picture of like zoomed in and it was Tresh like Tresh is uh just printed out. Yeah, he hasn't been wrong. <laughs> right, right. Not showing he should be on that list. Like we want, we like to say, oh, like like Tresh is the bulletin board material here, but he hasn't been wrong. <laughs> Anthony Richardson has not been better than I think it was Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis were three of the names on there. He mm-hmm. hasn't been better than them. He might be. Physically, you can say projection-wise, he could be potentially, but he hasn't been. So It's funny how that works, isn't it? Today's episode of Lockdown Gators is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to spice up the college football season. It's easy to play and win cold, hard cash in a single game. And I know that, yes, college football season is awesome, but the NBA season is here too. And Tuesday night... I got to make some money because ste- one, Steph Curry went off, just absolutely annihilated. Two, Jalen uh, Brown went off, and that was a fantastic first night of the NBA for me. So I'm very, very happy with that because they both went over on their points, and you love to see that. Sign up with the promo code Locked On, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's right. Deposit $100. Get $100 free using promo code Locked On with Underdog Fantasy. Looking at the Gators just as, as a program, this is the first mm-hmm. year under Billy Napier after Dan Mullen, Jim McElwain, Will Muschamp have come and gone. What are your thoughts on Florida so far at basically just past the midway season of Billy Napier's first season? I, I, look, I, I think it's fine. I know people are freaking out about it, but like, 
this stuff takes time, man. And and I, I don't think Florida Gators fans want to hear this, but this team is not that talented. They're they're not. They're they're just they're just not. Anthony Richardson, they have an incredible potential talent at quarterback, but we just went through, you know, 10 minutes of discussion how he's not even there yet. Look at the defensive side of the ball, man. What Where's the stars on the defensive line? I mean, I know people had high hopes for Gervin Dexter, but you know, he's he's certainly realizing his potential too. It's not like you know, people went into the season feeling like he was gonna be the next great top 10 defensive tackle, right? And I, I get it, he's a talented dude, but he hasn't shown that yet. Brenton Cox has been around for a long time, and I think that he's a really nice pass rusher. He's really showing how that veteran presence of, of knowing how to rush the passer, different pass rush moves. He's not just an outside attacker anymore. He knows how to set up offensive linemen. I've liked what I've seen from him, but who else in the defensive line is getting pressure? In pressure percentage, the Gators are 65th in the nation in pressure percentage. They're 67th in total pressures. Like this is it's it's not a good unit up front. Behind him, you've got two veterans, Amari Bernie and Ventro Miller, who are hard hitters and blitzers, but these guys aren't going to be reliable for you in coverage, right? And you look at the secondary, how young is the secondary? It's it's an inexperienced secondary as well. So that's on the defensive side of the football. The offensive line's still coming together. I love the guys that they have at running back. The, the halfbacks they have on this team are playmakers throughout the entire depth chart. They're fantastic. But wide receiver, like, who are you leading on a wide receiver? There ain't a Kyle Pitts. There ain't a Kadarius Tony. There's not anybody in there who's like this striking fear one-on-one in the hearts of defenses and other secondaries that they go up against. This team's just not that talented. And it's okay to admit that. But look, I went to Florida, so I've been ingrained with Florida Gators fans for a long, long time. And and I get that, that, that Florida is one of the blue blood pro- programs in college football. They are. And with that being the case, fans hate the thought of rebuilding years. They don't want them to exist. They don't want th- that to be a thing. I'm here to tell you, this is a rebuilding year. It's an entirely new coaching staff and the team is not that talented. This is the results. This is the results that you get. I think Napier is a really great coach. I think he's got a great head on his shoulders I would like to see him give up play calling. I really would. I think that Napier is a fantastic CEO. He seems like he has a great mindset for recruiting, for building a staff, for putting players in the right position, for putting staff members in the right position. He seems like he is a phenomenal manager. That doesn't mean you have to be a play caller. I would love to see him get an offensive play caller that he trusts in there so that they can call plays and he can worry about being a head coach, managing things on the sideline, uh, managing timeouts, game managing time correctly on the clock, whatever it is. He can handle that stuff. You let an offensive coordinator handle plays. Then I actually like Patrick Tony. I know Patrick Tony has been under fire a lot because Florida's defense has been bad. But like I just said, the defensive front for Florida is not reliable. It's not good. Therefore, you've got to throw extra bodies at the pocket to try to get pressure on the quarterback. What happens when you do that? Then you have to play soft zone. Therefore, teams are getting easy catches. They're getting easy conversions. Florida is one of the worst teams in college football right now when it comes to third down defense. But that's why. Because there's no ta- there's no pressure up front. There's no execution up front. There's no disruption up front. Therefore, they got to send other guys in coverage to try to make that pressure happen. And and it's just a, it's, it's a domino effect. And a lot of people look at Patrick Tony and when things go wrong and they don't really know how to explain it, rather than blame the fact that they're Florida and they shouldn't have a talent deficiency, they say, Oh, well, okay. It's gotta be on the coach. It's gotta be on the coach. Let's blame the coach. I think Tony's hands are tied this year. And I think a lot of the coaches hands are tied this year. Florida's problems stem from the fact 
that they're just not that talented this year. Doesn't mean the young guys can't get better. Doesn't mean the team can't even be better next year. But I think when you look at it right now, I would be very cautious to point the finger at this coaching staff and be like, this guy's got to go. They got to make a change. This has to, I think we got to put all that aside and think about what they're dealing with and that kind of stuff. So I haven't had a, I haven't had a chance to rant about this Florida team in a while. So thank you. This is very therapeutic for me getting this off of my (laughs) chest, but uh, that's kind of my overarching themes of where I think the Gators are right now. Yeah. And I mean, even just a couple of things about what you just said, you know, this, this Florida Gators team isn't very talented. One of the reasons Dan Mullen was fired was because recruiting was just so bad. He was recruiting for rankings. He wasn't evaluating these guys in depth and saying like, okay, we, we can make this work. He was just right. saying, okay, he's a four-star, he's a five-star, we'll take him. And people, Dan Mullen got fired for not recruiting. And then all of a sudden it's, well, Billy Napier and Patrick Tony suck. And it's just, right. Like, right. that's not what? how that works. Like, like you either then keep Dan Mullen because he was getting great players if they could all make it happen. Um, and also with Patrick Tony, I will say the game that made me really like fall in love with Patrick Tony wasn't even when he was the Gators like it was even when he was on the Gators radar, it was mm-hmm. Liberty, Louisiana last year because he like Louisiana's defense had Malik Willis in a box. It, it was just the worst game that I saw from Malik Willis. And I was like, whatever the game plan was, this was awesome. And, and it happened to be Patrick Tony, of course. But one more thing there is that you mentioned uh, Billy Napier giving up play calling duties. I, I agree. He should give up play calling duties. Mm-hmm. Right now, Florida Gators offensive coordinator is Rob Sale, never called plays, been successful everywhere he's gone developing offensive linemen. Louisiana had Robert Hunt and a few other offensive linemen come out. Osiris Torrance is Florida Gators' best offensive right. lineman. He was with Louisiana. Um, Rob Sale went to the Giants. Andrew Thomas, in that one year, took significant strides and has continued to develop and become great. What do you do play calling wise? Do you, do you give it to Rob Sale and say, hey, Let's have you do it, or do you bring in? I think they should bring in a passing game coordinator and just have him kind of develop that. But, but what do you do? Yeah, I, I mean, changes aren't going to get made this year, right? I mean, like if Sale has never called plays before, and like he, if he doesn't have the aspiration to do that, then don't make the switch this season, even for the sake of getting a head start on things. I, I think that that's something that you go into the off season with a priority and. Florida is clearly not afraid to have a coaching staff that's as big as a public yearbook with, with how many people that they have on there. So obviously they're not afraid to continue to add different coaches if they think that that's what's going to be best for the staff. But yeah, I, I don't exactly know off the top of my head how it's structured right now, but a past game coordinator, somebody who's had experience doing that before. I just think that that is more valuable than Napier having to worry about it because there have already been a handful of times this season where I'm like, why are they calling that? Like, what are they doing? Like, it's just, there are so many things as a head coach that you got to worry about that will take your mind off of calling the right play. Hire a guy who their entire job is to call the right play at the right time. They're involved with the installs. They're involved with the game plans. And when it comes to the game, they already know what they're doing. And therefore, the only variable is expectation. That's what you want. You want as a staff to be so in tune with what's going on to where you know what play is going to be the right play on third and short. You know what play you're going to open up the game with in this script. You know what play you're going to start with on uh, on a two-minute drill. The play is not really going to matter. It's just the execution of it. And I feel like there are too many times when 
maybe it is the game plan, but it just doesn't feel like Napier has the best finger on the pulse for what's going on in the game or what's working and what's not. And I think that that's totally understandable. There are so many things that he's got to worry about. Well, let him worry about those things. Let him be the best head coach, the best game manager, the best CEO that he can. And I think that that starts with, with giving up play calling. And I don't have any candidates off the top of my head. I don't, I don't know college football coaches like that. But you know, to your point, I think that it would be very advantageous for them to get some sort of a pass game coordinator, a guy who's had experience doing it before, and somebody who's going to really be able to take that off his plate. Yeah, you mentioned not really having a finger on the pulse. Good example of that, Florida versus LSU, second play from scrimmage. Florida gets a 51-yard touchdown deep to Justin Shorter. Not a single pass, 20 yards downfield for the remainder of the game. Kind of kind of seems to me like it's like, hey, you, you could have maybe challenged a little more in that aspect. But uh, just moving on from criticizing them there. Um, how maybe refreshing is it to see so many young Gators get game reps where for years under Dan Mullen it was – the upperclassmen are, are going to play, even if they're, um, we'll, we'll say, potentially worse than the underclassmen beneath them. Yeah, and I don't pretend to know everything that was going on behind the scenes with Dan Mullen, but I will say that for as much as Dan didn't like recruiting, clearly, um, he's a fantastic coach. I mean, this he, Dan Mullen has always been a fantastic football coach, and for as much as I think that people love when their team has a star redshirt freshman or true sophomore that's absolutely popping off, that's not the norm. A lot of times, the guys who are going to execute better for you are the upperclassmen. They are those juniors and seniors. So I understand why Mullen consistently leaned on those players, but as a coach, you have to be able to Find those right guys in and out because you also can't say, hey, this guy's been a junior and a senior and he's been on the team a long time. I'm just going to let him start consistently. Like you, you can't be doing that. So I will say to answer your question, it's great to see so many young guys playing early on, getting valuable snaps. But that also goes into the equation that we were saying before. If you having so many young guys play, guess what? They're going to take their lumps. They're going to learn. They're going to mess up. That's also a thing. So it's just, you got to have realistic expectations about it. I love the fact that they are willing to get these young guys in here. And especially, like I said, if this team didn't have a lot of talent, play some of these young guys that might. Play some of these guys that you really liked in recruiting, the guys that you brought in, the guys that you brought in, hopefully with a specific mindset in mind. Here's how we're going to play you. Here's how we are going to get the most out of your strengths. This is what we are going to do. That's always the kind of coach that you want. You want the coach that says, best players going to play. A lot of times, just going to be honest, that is going to mean upperclassmen. They've been around enough. They've been in a strength and conditioning program for a couple of years. They can physically hold up. They know what they're doing with the playbook. They've seen practice reps. They've seen game reps. It's often upperclassmen that should be littering your depth chart. But you love to get those splash guys here and there, a star corner, a fast edge rusher, uh, an elite wide receiver who's a playmaker, right? Like get you – Having the freedom to splash in those guys when you know you got a real good one, that is the stuff that you love to see from a coaching staff. And they're playing a lot of young guys. I like that. I hope that doesn't go away. And I hope that the best player always plays under Billy Napier. Moving on to the NFL, though, with uh, Damian Pierce is someone that I'm oh, still yeah. torn on because he looks the same as he did in college to me. He's physical. He's tough. He's running through uh, mother mother's face over and over and over mm -hmm. and over. he's pulling the Marshawn Lynch approach to it 
and it's translating. And it it still every time I see him rip off a nice run, I'm just like, damn it, Dan Mullen, um, for for just giving him the I think it was eight carries a game last year. And I know that you and Connor Rogers on NFL Stock Exchange had him on your early all rookie teams. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about Damian Pierce now that we'll say he's the third of the way through his rookie season? No, he's phenomenal, right? And and you looked at that Houston Texans team, and outside of Brandon Cooks at wide receiver, you go, okay, well, where are the playmakers? Like, who's making plays for the Texans? Because even if you want to say, hey, Texans aren't going to make the playoffs this year, this is probably a team that's going to be drafted in the top five overall, okay. They still have to play 17 games, right? It's not like they can just simulate the season and be like, nah, you guys can just take this one. They still had to have guys who go out there and play the game every single week. So somebody was going to emerge, and it's ended up being Damian Pierce. The more that they leaned on him, it seems like the more that they – the more he gives back and I think he had 17 missed tackles forced last game. And he's just, I think that was a, that was a record for, I don't even, I don't even know how far back, but you guys saw the one run that looked more Marshawn Lynch esque than any Marshawn Lynch, non Marshawn Lynch run that I've ever seen since him. And and that's just how Damian Pierce is. He's going to be an inspiring running back. No, he's not going to be the fastest dude, but he's going to work his ass off every carry he gets. So every time you put that football in his gut, He's going to get as many yards as his body will physically allow him to get. That's always going to be something that inspires the rest of the team that you love to lean on. Shoot, look at what the Atlanta Falcons are doing, right? I think that some people who listen to this podcast within the area, probably Falcons fans, Arthur Smith had that quote that was caught on a mic'd up where he's going around the sideline and he, he's going up to his offensive lineman and his running backs. And he goes, I want you guys to be ready because we're about to run it down their throat. Like he's, he's getting these guys hyped up and he's like, we are about to bully this other team. We're about to bulldoze teams love that man. They love when the coach for as much as we want to talk about like, Oh, you know, passing more valuable than running. It is, you know, analytically it's much higher from an EPA per play perspective. You want to be passing more than you're running. It's just how the game is. But when you get to line up and you get to tell your offensive lineman run block, become a bulldozer, move this dude off of his spot. And then you hand it to a running back who has as much physicality as Damian Pierce. That is such a morale booster that is such a hype up for the rest of your team the identity that Damian Pierce gives and so just getting back to the Texans it's been awesome to watch him be able to have that kind of energy and the Texans feed off of that energy Um, and I hope we continue to get to see it I hope that he has a fully healthy year a fully healthy career because he is one of the most fun backs to watch right now yeah and I mean you mentioned Arthur Smith and you mentioned throwing the ball on the Atlanta Falcons and that leads us to the next and final Florida Gator to talk about today with Kyle Pitts, um, and more importantly than even talking about his numbers, how much more of Kyle Pitts being open and not getting thrown the ball do I need to see before I have to pull an Odell Beckham Sr. and start posting videos of him being open and and just not getting it? Yeah, I don't know, right? Because Falcons fans were, uh, that was a great reference from Odell's dad, by the way. Um, (laughs) I, you know, you look at Julio Jones, right? And Julio Jones is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL over the last decade. And it seemed like there were years when he would get two touchdowns, right? And it's like, okay, this this should be his area to succeed. This is the area in which he uh, gives you the most value in the red zone. It just seemed like they couldn't target him. They couldn't make completions in the, in the red zone. And uh, new, totally new coaching staff now, but it feels like that's the same thing with Kyle Pitts. All I can say is that there's not really reason to be worried. He's open. 
he's good. Like they, they just, they, they go elsewhere. And to Atlanta's credit, they're three and three. They're six and zero oh against the spread. Like they're playing well. They clearly want to run the football and they're running the football very well. They're one of the top 10 in a lot of categories, top five in some other categories when it comes to uh, rushing efficiency and, and how valuable it is when they hand off the ball. And not a lot of teams can say that. So whether it's listening to Arthur Smith or seeing how their roster is constructed, clearly they want to be a rushing team. They're not going to be a team that's going to spread out and pass the ball a lot. But even with that being the case, man, Drake London, their rookie wide receiver, Drake London's getting a lot of looks. And Drake London's getting a lot of catches. He's getting a lot of targets. You can do those things for Kyle Pitts. And if you want to say, like, oh, teams are keying on him, okay, well then find a way to move him around. What, you don't think the key teams key on Justin Jefferson? You don't think the teams key on Cooper Cup, on uh, Devontae Adams, on Stephon Diggs, on Travis Kelsey, on Darren Waller, like Mark Andrews? Teams key on all of these guys. And yet what happens? They still get the ball. So it just need it. There's there's not really an excuse for it. I don't know how quickly it's going to get better in that offense currently, the way that it's constructed this year. But I will say that ain't nothing wrong with Kyle Pitts. Um, the targets, the catches, the yards, the everything, it's coming. I just don't know if it's going to be this year. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, the biggest thing that irritates me with the whole Kyle Pitts situation is just. Arthur Smith was, of course, the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans before right. the Atlanta Falcons, and he was so creative with Delaney Walker, with Jonu Smith, especially. Yep. Like I, yep. I saw what Jonu did with Tennessee, and when the Falcons drafted Kyle Pitts, I was like, "Oh, he's about to eat." Right. And, I, and that's what everybody thought. That's what everybody, everybody thought. Here we are. Yeah, I think that's the most frustrating part for me. But uh, thank you so much, Trevor, for joining the show. This was Trevor Sigma with Pro Football Focus. Catch him on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey. And hopefully we'll we'll have you back soon on on brighter Gators notes too. Where you when the the first Kyle Pitts three touchdown game, I'm coming back on immediately. So you better be ready. For I'm it. holding you to that. I like the second he catches the third one, I'm like, all right, Trevor, here's the link. Get the, get the DM. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> hey, I'm looking forward to it. Whatever it is. Thanks for making Locked On Gators your first listen of the day. Every day, we will be back tomorrow with a bonus Saturday episode. Brandon Carroll from All Gators, which is the SI site for the Florida Gators, will be here to talk Florida Gators basketball. Thanks for making Lockdown Gators your first listen of the day every day. We are available daily and free, by the way. Check out Lockdown SEC for your second listen of the day. Get the best coverage on the best conference, including the best university, the University of Florida. For Lockdown Gators, I'm Brandon Olson. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at WNS underscore Brandon. Written work with Whole9Sports and GiantsCountryFSI.com. And I will see you all tomorrow.